everybody. Welcome to a, another Corner Conversation on the book of John. Behind the message, we are today t- jumping into chapter 2 and the first narrative moment of Jesus turning water into wine. Enjoy. Today, this morning better. You said you were ready and then you started giggling. Not laughing, just, well, I just giggling. I always think about how our opening lines are always so terrible. And yeah. I almost just made it terrible. <laughs> Start over. You stopped yourself. Was this morning better that somebody showed up to open the coffee shop this morning? Is that where we're starting? <laughs> That's where Greg stays every day. I hope the shops are surviving. No, I hope really. they're okay. I just like I just like when the drama Sucks Scott's day away. What's worse, showing up to a 50th moment of a barista that you know is not going to be there, not being there, or showing up to a broken door? The broken door, 100 No, times. barista. Really? Is, the wor- is way worse. If it's, you, if it's, it's once, because it's you fine. yahoos have never fixed a door in your life. <laughs> Scott, there's another break-in. <laughs> We're going to need you to install an entire new door. I mean, that's fair, but... <laughs> I am way more hurt that someone I know and that we've given opportunities for over and over again. <laughs> You're making this sound like this isn't the normal. No, it's not the normal. Yeah. But it has happened. It has happened. <laughs> it's fine. It has happened. Yes. Both Neither is it, but getting the door broken isn't normal either. Both have happened frequently enough that it's not fun. Yeah. Not but fun. What, what is something, Zach, that happens in your life frequently that you don't like? <laughs> <sighs> Parenting. <laughs> As your wife is about to have another baby. That was the, what is some, here, let me restate the question. What is something that happens you know frequently this is in your right? life that you don't like? Uh, parenting? Yeah, I should have given more context to that. I think it's the, yeah, the recent parenting moments of, of repetitive telling my kids, don't do this. And then five minutes later, they're doing it. And... When I feel tired that I've told them what seems to be a thousand times and nothing changes. Yeah. Which, come on, human nature. That is me as an adult. Like, yeah. I mean, we've told you not to buy certain cars multiple times. Yeah. I haven't but, bought a car. <laughs> Greg has purchased more cars than I have in the last three years. But how many times have, have you had a car that you thought maybe was going to be immobilized forever in your alley? <laughs> Twice. <laughs> well, two different vehicles. One is our current car. Yeah. How many times has that happened to you, Greg? Never. Yeah. How old is my car compared to Greg's? Uh, uh, that's fair. That's part of the reason. Eight years, at least eight years older yeah. than your oldest at this if, point. If you're listening to this and Zach ever comes up to you and goes, Hey, I found a 94 Saturn that looks really sweet. Just tell him no. I didn't buy it. I didn't. I did buy a... Tw- I bought a 2012 that... Made me a bunch of money, and then I sold it. It's great. We're so proud of you. Yeah, <laughs> I wouldn't have done it if I didn't know Greg. I would have bought the 2000 <sighs> Saturn SE2. With, yeah, with the constant velocity clutch transmission thing that with 86,000 miles on it yeah. and no rubber left anywhere in the vehicle. Mm-hmm. It's all just bare metal. I I'm trying to think of what we're killing it today. I, it's, why are we? I'm not downer. You guys are just right all of a sudden. <laughs> Uh, I do. Is there anything that you guys like that you do often that gives you life that is really fun? 
disc golf. Oh, disc yeah. golf. Always. Yeah. Throwing that plastic. With my kids, without Throwing. my kids, by myself, with friends. We're playing our first tournament tomorrow. Yeah. Snowflake Days 2021, Coon Rapids. Yeah. Uh, you can actually see our live score if you want to follow along. <laughs> Please don't follow us. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, uh, getting up early Yeah, is good for me. I had the moment this morning where I was able to... Going to well, bed at 8 p.m.? Yeah, that's, that's That gives me life. Neither of those things feel like they give me life. I got to walk in the skyway this, this morning right as they were just unlocking the doors. It was just... That's nice. Mm. That's fun. I haven't been in the skyway in... A year and a half? Probably Maybe two years. You know what gives me life? Seeing a friend, an acquaintance that I haven't seen in a long time, and like running into them at random in public... <laughs> Joy would say that gives her the opposite of life. She never really? wants that to happen. She doesn't want to bump into people? No, nope. not at all. I'm on Joy's side. I'm I want to bump side. into people as often as possible. Really? Yep. So when I just pop over to your house? Yeah, same same thing. It doesn't give Joy joy? <laughs> no, it's different. It's when she hasn't seen someone for a long time. Oh. If she has to like make conversation with them because she bumped into them? Oh. Nope. Awkward pauses are not her favorite thing? No. I love them. Yeah, you like the awkward. You like to make it more awkward. Yeah. That's your gift. It's a gift. From the Holy Spirit. Yeah. <laughs> We're talking about wine today. That's a unique, <laughs> rare thing in the corner world. I don't know if we've ever talked about wine. I don't, I don't know. We're, we've been going through the book of John. How can you talk about it if you never had it? He had Welch's. <laughs> <laughs> John chapter 2. <laughs> Uh, we've just turned the page into a new chapter. We spent three weeks in chapter one, and uh, John builds his thesis of that God is, and Jesus is, and Jesus is distinct in God, and Jesus is the Messiah. And there's life in relationship with the Messiah, Jesus, that Jesus is God who dwells amongst us, with us. He is the Lamb of God that takes away the sins of the world. And a, when you embrace those things, that there is the restating of the covenant. And then we turn the page, chapter two. I can easily forget that it was a letter he wrote, not a numbered book format. Mm. So, like, how did John sit down to write this letter? What was going on? Like, did he sit and write it all at once? Was this like dictated and then copied? Which I think mm. I think it was dictated and copied. But I have to remember that this was a letter to a people, and it wasn't some book that was, you know, on the shelf at the Christian bookstore that I picked up. He didn't think Zach in 2021 would be reading it. <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, but I, Jesus did. <laughs> but Jesus. He, the Spirit working through him did. I do think that um, a, a beauty of it, part of the beauty of it, is that uh, I. he didn't just sit down and go rattle it off. Mm-hmm. It becomes apparent really, really quickly is that... Uh, like the hardest research paper you ever had to do in life or whatever it is that that you had to do a, a ton of back research and you had to oh. oops you had to do um, you know draft after draft I always think that it, it's when you write something that first draft is a great one to just be perfect and then just wa- you know wash your hands of it and just like I'm done hmm. but this was not a like a first draft and done type of a letter yeah. Uh, he he worked on it for a long time. He revisited it. He probably uh, um, gave it to people to look at and review. And you think? I do. Where do you get that from? 
it, it just is so intense in its writing. I feel like he, I don't think he, I, I, again, I'm not a, a crazy theologian, but I just know that writing really deeply and intensely, unless my understanding of in, like the inspiration of scripture is off a little bit, I feel like he, he worked on it hard for a long time and involved other people. Look at this. Look what I wrote. He wrote quite a few things in his time. He had a lot of, a lot of writings. And I think, I mean, like, writing was pretty popular in the day. There were a lot of people who wrote a lot of things, and philosophy was, I mean, definitely part of Roman culture, if not part of Jewish culture. Jewish tradition was centered around, like, things that were spoken orally but then transcribed and turned into writing, and writings were read at events and celebrations. So I can get that it was probably like, oh, yeah, I could write this thing, and hopefully people will read it. Hmm. I think it was more that he... I think he knew exactly who he was writing to. And I think that is what made it intense. He was writing to me. Oh, I think there was a real people that he was wanted to inform. And so he did everything in his power to hmm. communicate it as good as possible. Hmm. So like, I think if you... I don't know if you're telling a story to some random person or you're telling your story to someone you know deeply, you're going to communicate it more intensely because you want to share that experience, I think. Hmm. Hmm. Well, he writes in these layers. He writes in the complexity. And uh, um, as he shares narrative, it's important as you read John that you don't have a perspective that says, oh, G- John is trying to share his, his 12 favorite Jesus stories. What's your first one? What's your second one? Uh, it's is building a um, ordered narrative in order to build perspective leading to his objective, which is that we would see that Jesus is the Messiah and there's life and relationship with him. And so the first story that is in John is uh, pre-ministry. Is that a good way to put it? Yeah. It's his first moment. He's he's at a wedding. He has some family there. Uh, the wedding runs short on some of its supplies, wine specifically. Mom, Mary, comes up and goes, uh, is, uh, I don't literally love moments when somebody comes and gives you a bunch of jobs when you're doing something else. Well, especially if it's your mom. <laughs> like, I literally talked to my mom yesterday and was able to joke with her because a couple nights ago I had a dream that she and I had gotten in a fight. Not because of anything other than she was telling me what to do. And I remember in my dream yelling at her like, Mom. Stop treating me like a kid. Don't <laughs> tell me what to do. And like that's my picture a little bit of Jesus yeah. in this moment. Yeah, you yelled that at your mom when you were a kid. <laughs> is the problem? Uh, not when I was a kid. When I was twenty-four. Twenty-four year old uh, kid. As a kid. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, had you had shingles at that point in your life? No, no, <laughs> no. It was good. I rode my brother's motorcycle and had dumped it once already. Oh boy! And then I was trying to go for another ride. And she was coming out on our porch and was like whistling at me and waving her arms to stop. And I, if it was Scott, he might have flicked his mom off, but I didn't. I just rode away. And then we had that conversation. That was the first conversation moment of, Mom, I'm married. You can't treat me like a kid anymore. That was good. Yeah. I could have been more graceful, but it was still good. So he has this interaction with his mom. His mom, Mary, walks away with a great mom line. This is the ultimate mom line. 
Jesus says, it's not my time yet, Mom. And then she turns and looks at, looks away from Jesus, looks at everybody else and says, just do whatever he says to do. And so it was a passive-aggressive handoff. Yeah. And then I can see, so in, in the eye contact, everybody was looking at Jesus. Everybody turns to Mary as she's giving instruction as Mary's talking to Jesus. And then Mary turns to walk away. And looks at that, glances over the corner right and says, just do whatever he says. And then everybody's eyes go back to Jesus. She went ahead anyway. She didn't give him an option. <laughs> I know. Oh, great. What am I going to do now? <laughs> and so in, in this moment, uh, again, they fill these massive jars with water and uh, turns into wine. And there's this huge declaration that, uh, as they are serving it, that you've saved the best for last. And... There's so many cultural, so many things happening in this narrative, and uh, you know some of the backstory um, to bring us in this is is thinking about believing in the unprovable, and I don't just in our preparation as we this is a behind the message how we got there type of moment. I I really wrestled with there's actually very few things in life that don't take an aspect of trust beyond proof. If it's relationship with people, if it's, uh, if it's how, I think about things that I don't even understand how they work, like how my computer works. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, imagine if you literally, before you would do anything, you had to fully understand how it worked. Like, yeah. I'm not driving a car till I understand how a combustion engine works. Yeah. Well, yep. good luck. <laughs> yeah. And, and so as we think about building on a foundation of where we're going today is understand that God is at work. And this is a great title of a 1994 worship song, God is at Work. There we literally was a 1994 work. song, and it was called God is Working. <laughs> Perfect. And so um, don't sing it, otherwise we'll have to pay some royalties yeah. to it. No. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but the if you can't... If you're asking the question, or if you're thinking about the question, what is, what is God doing? And you give a very surfacey, God is doing everything, whatever. But like, really dig deep inside of yourself, not as a show, and wrestle with that question. What what is God doing? And yeah, that's where we're headed. Yeah, I know the towards the end and the conclusion. I was, I think, part of that process is. Uh, so like there's this recognition moment in the story here of people mm. going, what? Like, where did this wine come from? It's, it's the best. Why are we just getting this now? Like culturally it would have been expected that that wine came first and, uh, it's this recognition and there's not even really recognition that Jesus was the one that did it, mm. but there was recognition of the work and there's something to be said for our ability to recognize mm. when God is at work or where God is at work is probably the better way to say it. Like I was just wrestling through my head, what does it say about, if someone asked me, where's God Where's God at work right now? And mm. I don't have an answer for that. Like what does that say about who I think God is, mm. the character that I think God has? It's definitely not congruent with the character that I read about of who Jesus was and who God is in scripture. Yeah. And to navigate the... There's these extremes that are probably both wrong. Is that you can say God is not doing anything, nothing, nothing, hmm. whatever. He spun the world and left it. 
And then on the other end of it is that absolutely everything God is micromanaging and doing. You know, so the moment when I you know, spill my milk or whatever it is, you know, God did it. How could you let this happen yeah. to me, God? I just stubbed my toe. Yeah. And so um, this is a great moment for people, especially people that have thought about it a lot, to just give theology. But I think this is something that we all have to really, really wrestle with hmm. and, uh, and, and deal with. If you have the moment, like, I understand where God starts and stops and what he does and what he's not doing and yeah. where he's working and where he's not because somebody told me. Um, that's uh, would be the same thing of if with a, a spouse, somebody coming up and going, listen, they're a great spouse because they do this and this and this and this and this. And you go, okay, I'll take your word for it. <laughs> okay, I'll marry him. <laughs> yeah, I think the overarching that we see in the story, a lot, there's, again, so many kind of deeper dramatic things going on it's pretty pretty cool what all of these pieces represent but mm. the deeper picture at the end is that this character of god is that even though you've run out i'm gonna make up for your shortcoming and i'll give you something much better than you even expect i'm gonna have far more than you even expect and for me it really pushed me to the point of questioning like how often do we either we disqualify ourselves or we mm-hmm. overqualify ourselves for the things that God says are essentially rightfully ours, the things that he wants to bless us with, um, that I could say either I'm not good enough to be able to receive God's blessings on one end or I'm good enough and I don't need God's blessings. And then there's even the complexity of just seeing God as a means to get blessings. So what we would consider the wrong end of prosperity of saying, I need to do this math equation so that I can get the solution that God has in the form of a jet or a car or wealth or health or whatever these things are that we need in prosperity. We're going to revisit some of the principles of this narrative as we go into chapter four, as Jesus interacts with the Samaritan woman. And so when John mentions these like hyperlinked words, one of them is water, one of them is wine, one of those is, and all these different things are, are hyperlinked. And the mentioning of water would jump forward to his interaction with the Samaritan woman, where she was asking, you know, she's, Jesus says, listen, get the water that I offer, water, I offer, and you'll never be thirsty again. And she hears it as, oh, perfect, I want this physical, you know, it, it kind of was the jet, it was the the car or the affluence or the external thing. Yeah, give me that because I don't want to have to come back out to this well again. But Jesus was talking about water that is internal, that is spiritual, that is eternal. And uh, and so in this picture, too, as we think about this over-the-top blessing, God meeting these needs, uh, John builds a reputation of narrative that he isn't just talking about the external. This blessing happened. The Ill- thing he's illustrating is external, but it's really a picture of what's happening internal. Yeah, it's often that the actual need that Jesus's miracles meets is not really the point or really mm-hmm. like the, like, I think we've probably said it a thousand times, but like everybody that Jesus ever healed is dead now yeah. is like, it blows my mind because it, it's the miracles, not the point. Yeah. It's the transformation that the miracle reveals about who Jesus is mm-hmm. and how that should change our perspective of who he is. Mm-hmm. And that just like 
I don't know, that reminds me that the their promises, so like the the extravagance of the miracle of what Christ does for us is it's not about personal prosperity, but there are promises mm. that I think that we can hold on to. And uh, and I, I just don't know if you can see those promises without the recognition of God's work. And I think yeah. I think those have to come hand in hand. Yeah. yeah. I don't think life's a vacuum by any means, but if we can take the human aspect out of it for a moment and really ask the question of what does this miracle say about the nature and the character of God that Jesus would turn this water into wine? Like, why did it happen? Why was it his he first likes miracle? Parties. He likes parties. What does it say about the nature and character of who God actually is? And, mm. you know, it's it's hard to take out the human aspect, but when we, when we see God's character, we see that he is a God who is extravagant. He's not some minute, just getting by by the the minimums kind of God, but that he's literally someone who is giving over and above and abundantly. We see so many pictures of this abundance through even the Psalms. A lot of the writers talk about this abundance, this like cup flowing over in Psalm 23, the parables in Luke 15 of the lost sheep and the lost coin and the lost son, that there's these extravagant parties thrown when these things are found. John 7, when Jesus is talking about believing in him, that these rivers of living water would flow from within them, not just like a drip from a faucet, but rivers, this overabundance, this extravagance. That's Hmm. definitely a different God than I approach sometimes. Yeah, and the heart, the point of this series is not just about hearing these things, which can be a way that the gospel, the good news is declared. Just hear this! but rather it's processing. And so our goal this week is to invite people to process this, to open up the door to process. It won't just happen on a Sunday during our dialogue in our service, but this is going to be a lifelong process of understanding that God is generous, extravagant, meeting needs. Uh, they aren't all physical. They aren't all easy to recognize. They probably, none of them will easily, could will be absence of doubt or fear yeah. or um, complexity. Yeah, that's why I keep going back to the rec- the word recognition uh, mm. because there's something current about it. I feel like it's so easy to hear the stories in the Bible of, oh, God's done those, cool, sweet. Mm. And I think the amazing starting points, right? But without moving it to today, without recognizing what God's doing around you now, yeah, uh, those are just going to be stories we tell each other. Yeah, it's great. Thanks for joining us. The thing to remember in this study of John is keep reading the book of John. Keep reading it. Keep asking questions. If you think, I wonder if anybody else has thought about the complexities of the book of John. Uh, Yes. (laughs) Uh, Online, you can find uh, thousands of pages of free commentary that may not necessarily give all the answers, which isn't the goal, but will definitely give you a lot of things to ponder or process or questions to ask. Yeah. Talk to you later, guys. Thank you.